This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. If you have your Bibles there, we're just going from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I'll give you a moment to get there. James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you, are, you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Remember last week, James spoke about the wisdom that comes from heaven. And that if we have that, certain virtues are going to flow out from our lives. And this wisdom from heaven will result in, and this is James chapter 3, verse 18, a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. Did we catch that? Our lives, if we have the wisdom that comes from heaven, will result in peace. And in context, this peace will flourish most especially amongst us, the believers in the church. That's the context of what he's, what he's saying here. But this week is the opposite. Verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? The opposite to peace. Either this is a hypothetical scenario that churches can and do fall prey to. Fights and quarrels, they happen all the time. They can happen all the time. Or So it's either a hypothetical scenario or there is a wide outbreak of sin amongst the churches. And this letter is specifically designed to, to target these churches. And so we can't know, we can't be sure, but it's one of these two things. It has to be. Remembering we had previously been warned against the earthly, unspiritual and demonic wisdom of this world. That is the heart of such upsets in the church. This is the contrast he's given us. That wisdom causes fights and quarrels. This causes virtues that lead to righteousness and peace. And again, he's talking about the church. He's not talking about the world and us and them. That'd be nice and easy. Look at all those guys out there and how good we are here. No, he's talking about in here. The fruit of worldly wisdom is not righteousness that leaves a trail of peace. Instead, he's previously mentioned, it produces bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, pride, and whose fruit is incompatible, incompatible with grace and truth, leading those who feast upon such fruit to their ultimate destruction. That's the point he's getting at. Where do you draw from? Do you draw from the wisdom of God or the wisdom of this world? Who are you feeding upon as you go about your week? 
Do you leave a trail of peace or a trail of destruction? Maybe for some of us, we're somewhere in between. And depending on the week, it could be more or less in either direction. But let's answer the question, why are there fights and quarrels among you? James chapter 4 verse 1 says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Pretty simple, isn't it? Where are they coming from? Oh, because that person did this, that and the other. No, it's coming from within you. Those drawing from earthly wisdom set their passions on fire for the things of this world. Their minds being made drunk, either little or great measure, with the maddening effects of selfishness, worldliness, and godlessness. Human passion by itself is not a bad thing. Would we rebuke the Christian who's passionately desirous to go to the mission field for their lo- because of their love for God or passionately desirous to stand for Christ in their workplace or to stand for Christ when the world is crashing down around them and they're about to suffer persecution for the name? That passion and that desire, that drive, We commend them. But unfortunately, we humans likewise passionately are determined to kill, fight, and quarrel amongst ourselves. And so there are two types of passion at play in the heart of a Christian. And I want to explain that a little bit later on. James points out to the churches, James chapter 4, verse 2, and this is, this is where the heart is coming from. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. We might ask, how do we murder? How do we fight and quarrel? Dan, you wouldn't catch me doing that. I'm, I'm smarter than that. Well, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 30, murder and adultery can be both spiritually committed as much as it can be physically committed. We remember you can, you can physically murder someone, you can physically commit adultery, but Jesus says, if these things dwell in your heart, you've already committed them. You've murdered them by your heart. You've committed adultery within your heart. That, to Jesus, is still sin. And so James builds on the words of Jesus. And should we just stop at those two? Was Jesus literally just saying there that, okay, if you get angry at someone, you've murdered them. And if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. But everything else that you think inside of your brain and everything else that comes up out of your passions, that's pass. But those two are fail. We'd be mad to think that that stops there. There's a multitude of ways in which we can crush one another, with which we can sin against the Lord through the intentions of our hearts. And Jesus says it'll only be a matter of time until that which dwells in there and you allow it to grow is going to manifest itself out into the the church, into the people of God and the world around you. 
But why do Christians need these warnings? Well, I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit. Why is James picking on me? I thought I was doing all right. It's because Christians, we live in between two natures. We understand the first nature. This is pre-faith. This is the unregenerate sinner. They don't have the spirit of God. They've not been made alive in Christ, who by nature are children of wrath, willfully alienating themselves from God. They don't desire God. They don't desire his mercy. You could tell them about Jesus a hundred times a day and they will refuse him for whatever reason. And this will be the first and final state of all who remain outside of Christ. They don't change from this into the next life. This is called the reprobate. It's a tough word. But that's the first nature that we have. The second nature is the Christian whose body has perished. Yeah, what? I just want to explain it clearly. The second nature is the Christian's body who has perished because there is now no connection to the old order and therefore no more competing desires. We are now and forever wholly filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ's death and resurrection restores the full expression of the divine nature, the Imago Dei. You bear the image of God as you were supposed to in Christ. As God is perfectly holy, so we are made perfectly holy through Jesus without hindrance and without any impinging factor. This is called glorification. These are the two natures, reprobation glorification but I said we were stuck in the middle and what do I mean by that you Christian have been given the spirit of God you are a child of God and there is no doubt about that but the problem you have and why this letter is written to us is because you have competing desires because you are in a body of death a body that desires sin and so you fight you fight by the Spirit of God against the desires of the flesh. But if we draw these things out to their conclusion, we are either reprobate or in glorification. That's the extremes. But right now we are at war. If you are the first individual, you need to stop what you are doing. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus. You're in need of the impossible, and that is a new heart. You need a new spirit. You need a new nature, and you must be born again, lest you will never enter the kingdom of God. But what is impossible for you is not impossible for God. And in Christ, it will be done if you place your faith in him. But if you are the second, if you have your faith already in Jesus, you're a bit of a mixed bag like me. I mean, first of all, I want to say praise God. If you're a Christian, praise God. You're a walking miracle. But you will need to listen to James carefully to avoid falling into the sinful desires of the flesh. 
with its ungodly passions. Let's have a quick read of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Let us never forget these words. It's just the end of verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We are a mixed bag. There is a battle raging on within us. You, dear Christian, are no longer dominated by sin, but you are still susceptible to its influence. If it is left uncontested as it were, if you gave it space to breathe, it will breed. So how do we avoid worldly wisdom, the murdering, fighting, and quarreling of this age? I love James's answer. Simply pray. I think I've probably said it a few times. That wisdom that comes from heaven is something that we need to ask for without a double mind. Simply pray. But if it was simple, why do we have so many issues in the church? Well, he gives us the first possible reason why it's not simple. The first, it comes from James 4, going into verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask God. What does that mean? Are you praying? <laughs> Maybe there's these competing desires in you and the, the flesh is all too often rearing its ugly head in your life because you don't ask God. Very simple advice for the Christian. You are full of the world's passion because you are not praying. Would a doctor not say you are starved because you do not eat? Or the neglected child that they are alone because you do not spend time with them? I mean, one is happening because the other is not. Far be it from us to neglect our Father in heaven. To our own detriment, we forsake the hand of the Lord in our lives, knowing that we either overcome by the power of the Lord or are being overcome by the ways of this world. If only we saw our own state in the mirror, starved, dehydrated, in need of the spiritual life that only God can give. If we could only see ourselves in the mirror for a moment, how often would we fall to our knees in prayer and petition to our God? If only we could taste and see that the Lord is good, able to satisfy like no other. I, for one, and I hope you are as well, I'm under no illusion that Christianity is under the yoke of this present age. Today, many lights and sounds look to entice our time away from the Lord. Is that not true? Many have dusty Bibles and cobwebs in their prayer closets, replacing tears of intercession and breakthrough with the trinkets and toys of this world. 
Cut it out. What, what other advice can I give you? The first weeks of prayer, you may need to say, Lord, help me pray. That's how far gone this can go for some of us. That's how enticing the world is at the moment. Lord, I want to spend deep and meaningful time in your presence, and I don't have that right now. So that's the first request. Help me to pray. Remove the world's enticement from me. Cause me to love you more than they, to love you as you deserve. If we are unable to give the Lord our devotion in times of peace, consider that how then you will stand in times of affliction. If entertainment holds you away from the Lord, what happens when it's a threat to your life to hold to the Lord? How do we know those that are dependent upon the Lord? Prayer those who pray together in groups, and those who are praying alone. This is truly the thermometer of Christian health. You want a, tri- you want a child to grow? You must feed it. How about you? Do you come to the throne of your father and ask for spiritual food? Philippians 4 Verse 6 says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, presenting your requests to God. James reminds us as a first priority not to neglect it in your fight against worldliness. For by prayer, you are filling your soul with the wisdom from heaven. You're living obedient to James chapter 3, verse 13 let them show it it's their lives by their good life by their good life by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom that is the wisdom from heaven it's funny isn't it those things need to be spiritually given to you from the father you know when a church runs off into legalists when everyone's looking down on one another and there's favoritism and there's all these factions building it's because they think that The goodness is coming from within them. And if people were more like me, this church would be perfect. Whereas true Christians, what do we know? We know that it is but by the grace of God that we are who we are. And that protects us from favoritism, legalism, and factions. But maybe you're someone here who does pray. This is James's second attempt at helping us. If we lack the wisdom from heaven, maybe you do pray, but don't receive. James' desire is to challenge, well, currently, what is it that you're asking for? What do you want this prayer answered for? James chapter 4, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. These words of Jesus are so abused, but it ties into what James is saying here. If you turn to John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, 
It helps with the answer today. I've heard this abuse so many times. John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If uh, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's not about what you want, is it? It's about Christ's words dwelling in you. Why? So that you may glorify his Father, and in that you bear much fruit, all the greater to the glory of the Father. And yet people twist these scriptures and do exactly the opposite of what Christ has just said. They want a Ferrari. They want a yacht. They want lots of money so that they can give to the poor, but there'll be quite a lot of skimming off the top for themselves. And that's really the, the, the down, deep, emotional intention of that heart. Some, some of us may truly be able to say that, Lord, everything I have belongs to you. If you bless me with wealth, I will use it to your glory. If you bless me with poverty, I will use it to walk across these streets in barefoot to proclaim your name if that's what you want for my life. These types of prayer, are not the one I just mentioned, the previous one, these types of worldly prayers are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Isn't that what James has already warned us about? Praying for your own desires. We even get a taste of this in <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 to 24. And you would think this is a good thing that's happening here, but Jesus certainly didn't. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 to 24. This is about Jesus who's going to be taken away and killed and then raised to life. And Peter didn't like those words. And so he thought he'd protect Jesus in front of, in front of the disciples. He grabbed him and took him aside. Like, no, Jesus, you, you don't know. I know better. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Just a word of advice. Never rebuke the Lord Jesus. I don't care how angry you are, just keep it in. Um, he rebuked him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Isn't that what we're talking about right now? And this is someone's life at stake. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And if you've done that, what he's just said there, your prayers will be in line with the will of God. My life is yours, God. Do with it what you will. James picks up on this. Are you praying primarily that the Father may be glorified through you by Jesus' word that abides in you? 
We can pray for the small things as well. Don't, don't hear me say now that God isn't concerned about little areas of your life or little in comparison to eternity and to the problems in this world. Like maybe you do need to pay bills and you're running behind and it's good to pray into those finances. Lord, I want to be a better steward of what I have. And Lord, I really, I really want to honor my landlord or honor the bank or, or honor my children and, and have enough for groceries. You know what I mean? Like That's not wrong to pray for, but it depends upon the heart in which you're praying. What desire is coming forth when you ask God for these things? Is it to do right, glorify him? Or is the flesh behind it? Also, we have another abused text in Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, and it speaks right into what we're talking about today. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus speaking, whatever you ask for in my, uh, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Was it name it and claim it? I want a mansion. I want a new boat. I don't even have one boat, but I want a new one. Um, God can do all things. Do we believe this? God can do all things and he is working all things for our good. Yes, he is. We are confident of these things. But just if you're there in Mark still, just turn to Mark 14.36. Because this, this is only about three chapters later. We see the heart of Jesus' words here. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. Can we not pray with full confidence that God is able to deliver, that God is able to heal, that God is able to restore, even if it was finances, that God would help us in our pursuit to biblically look after that which he is giving us? Have full confidence, but not my will over these things. Your will be done. I would love my, my back to be healed right now. And I believe you can do it. And I ask it in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. But not my will. Your will be done. James rebukes the passions of the flesh. That you would make God, that you would not make God your bellboy or slave to give you the pleasures and desires of, of your worldly heart rather than glorify him. Remember, and this is just so funny to me, remember how when we started this journey in James, what was he talking about? Like the first few words were about counting it all joy when you suffer trials of many trials of various kinds. And you see, people take the words of Jesus there, believing that you already have it, as if God is going to remove the trial that we're meant to be counting as all joy. Isn't that funny? The first thing we tend to do is ask God to remove the sickness, remove the financial hardship, remove the stress and remove the struggle. And there is no wrong in asking God for this deliverance, but not 
my will, your will be done. God will not stop in his pursuit to mature you and ready you for the day he meets you. That's more important to him than the fleeting pleasures or pains of this life. And for us Christians, is he not using every tear and every bruise to accumulate for you an eternal weight of glory? Amen, he is. That's what the word of God promises us. You gotta crack some eggs to make a cake. Often a doctor might have to break some bones to reset them so that they may heal right. And the Lord in heaven is doing these things to you. He's making you more like Jesus. I pray and believe for healing in the mighty name of Jesus, but your will be done, not mine. Once we accept this, I believe we can go out and pray more boldly for those who who have ailment, who have sickness. Is it, is it better to ask a non-Christian if you can pray for their sore shoulder and God do nothing, then you have done nothing altogether. God promises he'll work through prayer. It just might not be what you want, but now we've just come to realize it doesn't matter what we want. It's his will that we're concerned about. May our hearts desire in prayer Look like this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And can I just remind you of the reward that we have in praying for the glory of God, according to Jesus' own words. If we pray and take even looking at James here, your responsibility, again, be in prayer. Do you remember what we get if we are found in prayer, if we obey what James is saying here? I'll I'll remind us from last week. Your life will be filled with a desire for purity, peace-loving. You'll be considerate, submissive, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. How how incredible is that payoff or that trade? You pray, that's your responsibility before God, and all of this is given to you and you will have a life of righteousness and peace. It will just permeate through every facet and area of your life. How could we neglect the eternal by remaining silent or scurry after the present, the present pleasures of this world. And maybe here's my, my goal and maybe one concern as I get ready to close up. My goal is to leave a healthy church for the next generation. This is not my ministry. This You people belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And we've been put here for a reason, and I think that reason is... <clears throat> to offer those kids and those out there who don't yet know Jesus something, something we can leave behind that's meaningful, that's a biblical church, and it's full of love. And also I want to remind you just how rare those two things are. I've been to very biblical churches that don't have much love, and I've been to 
very lovely churches with lovely people, but the Bible isn't really honestly being preached as good as it could be. And I'm not making a judgment particularly on anyone. I'm just saying that's the reality of how rare it is to have a church like you have here. I would like to see more of this for the next generation. But my concern is, will this dry up the moment I'm unable to serve in this capacity? Is this a church of pastors or is this your church that you take ownership of, that you see as important? If the few don't keep pushing prayer, will prayer cease? Is it me that has to drive a prayer meeting or are you hungry to start prayer meetings amongst yourselves? Can the spiritual thrust from each of us continue to see us thrive independent from the few? Instead, I would say encourage one another in what we have. Seek to study your Bible together. Seek to pray together. Today, the message is simple. What's causing fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's worldly wisdom, worldly passions. Why? Because either you're not praying or when you do pray, you're looking more towards your own self in this life rather than to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that we have your word, that, Lord, each one of us is being challenged today to cast off the chains of this world and seek you in prayer. Lord, I ask that your spirit would give us a heart to pray. You'd give us a heart to be concerned more of what you want in our lives rather than what we want. I pray that we keep the future in mind, not just our future glory with you that we have in Christ freely already, but that, Lord, we would look to the future of of what it is we're exactly going to leave these kids. Thank you, Father, for your word. May you continue to challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen.